good to see you, man. Good to see you. And I've heard you, uh, well, you've been censored uh, several different places recently. You want to go over some of the places they're uh, attacking you now? Yeah. Struck down, but not abandoned. <laughs> yeah. That's what St. Paul said. Struck down, but not abandoned. They got you on uh, YouTube. I know you have a bit shoot. As You've had a bit shoot for a while, to back that up. Right. That's good. Right. And uh, Amazon got you as well, right? Right. Gosh, that is something else. Well, that aside, I want to talk about your new book, Logos Rising. I think that title. Okay. I think that title is perfect. Uh, I think Heraclitus would like that because you have logos in there, and rising I E N G. So it's a becoming, showing a process, kind of like his fire analogy. I don't know if you. That's right. A little dibs to a little little props to Heraclitus, uh, ancient Greek philosopher. Some people call him pre-Socratic philosophers. I don't categorize them that way, but there are a lot of misunderstandings on uh, on what. What that means, just the word logos, in fact, is uh, doesn't really have a equivalent in English. Maybe you could uh, enlighten people a bit on, on what this is, the logos, before we get into uh, the meat of the book. Sure. Are we, are we on now? Yeah, we're on right now. We're all good. Okay, good. Yeah. Uh, well, I, uh, I, uh, logos is the word for reason. It's the word for word. It's the word for speech. And uh, I got into it uh, when I started um, doing a book on the Jew- Jewish revolutionary spirit because I couldn't explain what the Jews were because the Jews would not explain what they were themselves. So it was, was it an ethnic group? Was it a religion? Was it this? Was it that? Well, it was clear you weren't allowed to talk about it. It's whatever is beneficial uh, but I had to at the come time. Up with <laughs> By the way, we talked this, about that last time, and that, that exact video was removed from YouTube when we talked about that. Well, book. now you know what, you, what you're not allowed to talk about. Mm-hmm. So I couldn't describe the Jews without using the term Logos. And I said that they, when they killed Christ, they rebelled against Logos. And Logos is the order of the universe, and when you rebel against the order of the universe, you become a revolutionary. And that has been their identity ever since for the past 2,000 years. To this day, because we are now in the middle of a revolution, and that group of people is playing a significant role in this revolution. And we can talk about that if you want. But uh, once I used the word, then people started asking me what it meant, and I decided I had to write a book to explain what I meant by that uh, word. So we have two books here, Jewish Revolutionary Spirit, which is the history of anti-Logos, which is the first book I wrote, and Logos Rising, A History of Ultimate Reality, which is a history of Logos itself. And as you said, it came into existence in Greece at the end of a period that was dominated by what people who were called uh, pre-Socratic philosophers, but the Greeks themselves called them physiologoi, and we would call them physicists. They were mm-hmm. physicists, and they tried to figure out what the ultimate reality was in the universe. And Thales was the first of this group of people. He started writing around the same time that the Iliad and the Odyssey were put into writing. This was a rebound from a total collapse of civilization that had lasted for about 400 years. One of the great mysteries of ancient history why that happened. Uh, and so he's decided it was water. Uh, water is all over the place. You can't live without water. Your body is mostly water. 
And uh, uh, that was a stab, uh, uh, but it was not accurate. And then uh, Anaxagoras came along and said it was air. And finally, Heraclitus came along and said it was fire. But that's just the beginning of the story because Heraclitus is also the first man to say that it was logos. Uh, What do do we mean, logos? It's order. So a good example of the Greek understanding of logos would be geometry, which is how you measure space. Uh, But he also was the guy who was the opposite of Parmenides. Parmenides was, in many ways, the most brilliant, one of the most brilliant thinkers ever because he said, that which is cannot come from that which is not. Which means... Uh, uh, in a sense that nothing can change because there we have being and you simply cannot add to being because that's all there is. And so the result of Parmenides thinking was that nothing changed. And that's makes logical sense if you accept his premises, but it contradicts our experience. Well, nothing and changes between nothingness and beingness, but things change within the being all the time. They change, uh, but do they change? Or is that just an illusion? Well, you could say Aristotle said that it's just uh, time was just numbering motion. And some modern physicists see it that way. You can't really tell the difference otherwise. Technically, we're always in the present tense. And so you could get into the psychology of memory and all that and say, well, the past doesn't exist now. It did exist, so it, it's not real in the sense that it doesn't exist anymore. All that ever exists is the now. But that doesn't mean that there isn't time and there wasn't a before and after. It's just saying that the only things that can ever exist is only the present. That's all. It's just a, it's, People get caught up in the semantics of the word games of that. But I like uh, the chapter, first chapter of John's uh, Greek version anyway, when they're using Logos. Then English, they say the word, but they use a capital W. And I think it's uh, John one fourteen where he says, The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. What does it mean, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us? I mean, he's talking about Jesus, obviously, but Logos is a much better fit than saying the, the word. And I know Logos can mean word, but word can mean just, you know, uh, any, any, any word in language, and that's not what they mean. They mean more of a teleological claim in that. And so Aristotle brought in teleology, but not a teleology of history, more more of like an acorn becomes a tree, that kind of teleology, and, and what's the purpose of people? But when Christ comes, he's saying, no, there is a purpose for all of you on a cosmic sense. That's where I Yeah, well, you've introduced a lot of different ideas there. Um, and you're right that uh, uh, St. John did take the idea, got the idea of Logos from, from Heraclitus. St. John was in Ephesus 500 years after Heraclitus was mm-hmm. there. And something new had happened in that time. Uh, a lot of things new had happened, to be perfectly honest with you, because uh, the Physiologoi, uh, Heraclitus said it's like fire, and fire is always the same, and it's always changing. Mm-hmm. And that's a paradox. And it's like the, he said that you can't step in the same river twice, which means that river is always changing and it's always the same. And how do you have that? 
and uh, so at a certain point, the physiologoi realize we can't get any further because we, we don't have any instruments to look things at things more closely. No telescope, no microscope. And so they just ran out of steam. And they were replaced by a group of lawyers known as sophists who had practical <laughs> use of logos, which is basically to win court cases. You can't get much better than that because you just go to court and you get a whole bunch of money for doing nothing. It so was, the sophist took over. It was actually outlawed at one time to be a sophist. It's like you're just trying to make the weaker argument the stronger. Is one of the things they accuse Socrates of. Heraclitus thought it was the conflict between opposites and the sum of which is always flow. But you're right about the sophist. That there was an entire, I don't know how many generations of where philosophy kind of, it was booming and then died uh, from these um, hedonistic yeah. pragmatists, <laughs> for lack of a better term. And, 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 and Socrates rescued uh, philosophy from the sophist by introducing concepts like justice. So he, uh, Thrasymachus, uh, a sophist, says to him, uh, justice is the opinion of the powerful, which is pretty much the way lawyers think, and their job is to, you know, win the case. That's it. Nothing bigger than that. But then he introduced concepts like justice and suddenly realized, well, yeah, you have to go beyond just winning sounds, the case. Sounds like Alan Dershowitz. <laughs> sounds like what? Alan Dershowitz. Justice is whatever I can get away with. <laughs> Hey, Alan Dershowitz is so privileged that he can get massages on Epstein properties, but they're only from <laughs> girls of age. <laughs> and he never took his underpants off either. Right. He kept his underwear no, on. Alan, Alan Dershowitz is a classic uh, uh, sophist, a classic sophist. Yes. And he also has Jewish privilege, which adds to his sophistry. So Alan Dershowitz can, uh, in 1972, go on, or 73, go on William F. Buckley's firing line and defend pornography as free speech. He's totally in favor of free speech, right? Well, well then, he defended uh, fast pedophilia too. Years later, <laughs> he tried to justify lowering the age of consent. Oh, sorry. Yeah, 50 years later. There he is. He's standing next to Bill Clinton. Uh, not Bill Clinton. He's standing next to Donald Trump who's signing the anti-BDS bill banning criticism of Israel. So there you have sophistry in all of its glory. Uh, what is your principle, uh, Alan? I think it's truth is the opinion of the powerful. I think that's your ultimate principle, and that makes you a sophist. He defended and several uh, child rapists, and he, and he said, I think it was on The View or one of those silly TV shows where he's like, well, my job's just to get them off, you know, like it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter yeah, what happened. And I understand that. And I understand everybody needs a lawyer to defend them. But we're going beyond that here. You're talking about abstract principles like free speech. And you're completely hypocritical in the way you're using these terms. And it's time for us to call you on that. And uh, Norman Finkelstein tried to call him and he got uh, fired from his job at DePaul because uh, Alan had was a bigger Jew. It was a battle between two Jews from Brighton Park. This is the way Finkelstein described it to me. And who's going to be the top Jew? And it turns out Alan Dershowitz is the top Jew because he could pull more money uh, or pull more money out of DePaul from the rich Jews in Chicago. So that's where that's where that goes. But Socrates did rescue philosophy from the sophists. And we had Plato who talked about abstract things, and then we had Aristotle, and they talked mm -hmm. about the most abstract thing, which is God, and uh, they reached an impasse. For Aristotle was 
uh, a genius enough to realize that God, you could prove that there had to be a God. Uh, there had to be an unmoved mover. You can't have an infinite regress of um, intermediary beings in motion unless you have some being that is the end of motion, unmoved by itself. And that person is God. And he proves that. And that is the, basically the God of the universe. And that's great, except that it's not clear that he cares about us. That's assuming Plato all things were ever still. That's uh, also Aquinas' ontological proof, but there is no reason to assume no, that no, all was not in motion and had to be set in motion. Aquinas had cosmological proofs, not ontological proofs. Both. Anselm had the ontological proof, okay. which which I do not uh, particularly. Uh, it's debatable whether that's valid or not. Bertrand Russell thought it was valid for about five minutes, and then he his mind wandered to, to onto other things. Uh, but the, the the result was that uh, Greek philosophy, after its greatest moment, ended in an impasse with uh, the uncaused cause of Arist Aristotle's God and the Demiorgos, which was Plato's God, who did work with the people, who was the worker of the people, but it wasn't clear that he was transcendent. So how can you have transcendence and imminence at the same time? Well, the answer was St. John. St. John resurrected the concept of Logos, and he wrote the first three sentences of the gospel, uh, which is a metaphysical treatise in which he said, in the beginning there was Logos, and Logos was with God, and Logos is God. So if you put those two sentences together, they don't make sense. How can you be with God and God at the same time? And the answer to that is the Trinity. And it took about uh, 300 years, let's say, to 325, uh, the, the uh, Ecumenical Council of Nicaea, in which they formulated, finally formulated the Trinity. That was the unification of the problem. It solved the problem of Aristotle and Plato, and it set the world on a completely new footing, and it allowed intellectual progress, and that became the broad road of Logos in human history after that. The problem was, if you didn't get on board with that new understanding, history passed you by. And so the first group of people that had passed by were the heretics. Uh, we call them heretics, uh, the Arians, for example. It's a huge crisis that took through, went through the church in the fourth century over the Trinity, basically. Mm -hmm. uh, you, we, you have two principles here. Uh, he articulates two principles. God is the Son, and he's the, he's the Logos. How, how do those two principles fit together? Well, that was sort of what the debate was about for about 300 years. If he's the Son, then God the Father preceded him in some sense, right? Because the Father always precedes the Son. So therefore, there must have been a time when the Son was not. That is what Arius said. It made perfect sense to the Greeks of his era. It was all a Greek issue. The Latin church was completely out of the loop on this. And uh, it was wrong. It was wrong. Because the sun analogy can only go so far, and when you start to penetrate, try to penetrate the Trinity with your understanding, it's not going to work. 
So they had to come up with a term called homoousion, which is basically the son is one in being with the father. And that allowed human progress, intellectual progress to proceed. So the Arians, the Nestorians, they were sort of swept away. They ended up in the dustbin of history. And the next group, big group to come along were the Muslims. And they got their idea of Christ from the Nestorians, which means they got a defective understanding of the Trinity. It was put together, cobbled together by uh, goat herders in the middle of Arabia, camel jockeys and goat herders in the middle of Arabia, uh, who didn't have a clear understanding of uh, the Bible that they were hearing, uh, sort of secondhand. The Bible had not been translated into Arabian. Uh, it was uh, translated into um, uh, other languages on the coast uh, of the Red Sea, the Hejaz, uh, but it had not been translated. So they, they And they also had no real experience in abstract thought. So what happened is that they, they, they tried to understand it as best they could, and they reverted back to the concrete language that the Greeks had to abandon. Because you cannot talk about abstract terms in concrete language. You can't say that water is the basis of everything or air. And if you try to do it with fire, you have to add something like logos. And so the, the, uh, the Muslims, uh, the Arabs, let's put it this way, the Arabs, had no concept of Logos. It's not surprising. We don't have a concept of Logos. We used, in the beginning, there was the word, which is completely mystifying. I don't know what that means. I I read read it for my entire life, and I never knew what it meant until I looked up Logos in a Greek-English dictionary, and I realized all of the meanings it could have if you speak Greek, which it doesn't have if you speak English. Mm -hmm. And so the Arabs were in the same, similar situation, trying to fit a basically abstract concept into a language that was nothing but Semitic concreteness in, in this sense, much like. It was evil. a uh, order out of chaos. So uh, kind of reverse on entropy. That's one of the things a lot of the, a lot of the ancient Greeks believed in a, that there was a, a chaos, a swirling of the elements and that everything came out right. of that. And so you have to kind of know what they Yes. Yeah. Yes, if you if you read Hesiod, he says, uh, in the beginning there was chaos. This that's exactly the opposite of what uh, Saint John says. There was never a time when there was chaos. There was always logos, always from the beginning. There was never a time when there wasn't logos in this universe. Even when there was no universe, there was no there was no chaos. Because before the universe ever came into being, there was God who existed as the epitome of Logos. That was Logos uh, in its highest form. Mm-hmm. So the Greeks, uh, again, were, were uh, led astray by bad, by mythology. I mean, in many ways, the whole history of philosophy is a struggle against mythology. This is why Socrates hated poets. Because poets always taught mythology. Plato and, and, and there's an element. <laughs> he hated the poets mm-hmm. because they were corrupting the youth. Because the poets would say, uh, you know, well, Zeus, is a, a God is a father. That's true. God is a father. That is a, a, an insight that every culture has. But then you have to try it on your own. And you think, well, if God's a father, I guess he had a wife. And I guess her name was Hera 
or something like that. And as mm-hmm. soon as you say that, you're going down a blind alley start to and you'll never get out. everything. But that fit, it was hard for the Greeks to accept because a lot of their older myths were, and from actually all the way from India uh, with Hinduism and then the Zoroastrians, Persians and Greeks had these hero mythologies where it was caused by some like superhero of the past that did these deeds and tasks. And they, they were parables with like, to express forms of virtue and so on. That's the point of it. But to take it literally like the gods are on Mount Olympus, that's where it got watered down to most of theology and the philosophy was gone. And it was just sort of like stories to explain phenomena to plebs. Right. Every other culture has stories and they were made up. There was some element of truth. If you say God's a father, that's true. There is an element of truth to that. And that is in the language. Uh, Zeus pater becomes Jupiter in Latin. It comes back from the uh, Indo-European, Deus pater. So it's there. Uh, but y- given human nature, given the inability to think clearly and so on and so forth, it's a result of the fall. You're invariably going to take it down uh, uh, the wrong road and you'll end up in complete decadence, which is what happened in India uh, where uh, there was some original understanding of Logos in the Vedas, Urta mm-hmm. uh, has something like that, and it just got lost, and you ended up with just this pululation proliferation of one god after another until you today where you have 33 million gods in India. Uh, that's impossible, okay? You can't even have two gods the Zoroastrians were intellectually crippled because they said there were two gods. No one, you can't rationally say there are two gods. It's not going to work. So they got involved in, because when you say that, what they said was there's a good God and there's a bad God. Well, if the good God is powerless to kill the bad God, which is what he should, is his moral obligation, then he's not God because he's not all powerful. So he's not God. So that's the type of contradiction that you get into even with a, sophist- a relatively sophisticated religion like Zoroastrianism, which may have influenced Heraclitus, by the way, may have influenced his idea of fire as an important image. And dueling opposites as well, yeah. Yes, yes. Yeah, he thought it was the sum of those he things. Was, I mean, Ephesus, Ephesus was a Persian, it was a Greek colony in Persia at the time, and some people claim that Heraclitus was a Persian citizen, even though he spoke Greek. Yeah, he spoke Greek and was from Turkey. Um, oh, it's Turkey now, but whatever. Do you think there was also a break in the, that uh, prior to the birth of Jesus, almost everyone in the area kind of looked to the heavens, to the celestials, like astrology, for answers because they thought well it must be in the stars whatever this thing is god or gods or goddesses must communicate through the the motions of the heavens and you had these astrologers the three wise men from persia visiting baby jesus right and then no the answer is not up there it's down here here it is the logos made flesh as a messenger to to tell you the word that's well i mean uh well, I mean, so so where where is Aristotle's God? He is in the realm of forms. He's uh, in, in eternity. Well, where is that? Well, everybody thought it was up. Everybody always thinks that heaven is up and hell is down. It's just part of the way you think. So if he's all the way up there, 
way out there in the realm of transcendent forms. And we're all the way down here. And he wants to communicate with us, which is what Plato was uh, telling us. How's he going to do it? Well, uh, one of the logical ways would be the heavens, the stars. There were spheres. These were kind of crystalline spheres that rubbed against each other and produced a kind of celestial music. And so the best way, uh, according to this mode of thinking, to understand the mind of God would be to understand the stars and the alignment of the stars. And that leads naturally to astrology. Uh, and at this point in time, astrology and astronomy were pretty much bound up together. There was no clear separation between the two. Now, you can understand the mind of God if you study astronomy because uh, the universe was created by God, but what you're, that, that's not what we're talking about here. It's not going to be some type of determinism where uh, if you're born under a certain sign that you are condemned to a certain kind of life. And so the important thing there was to find out what was where the stars were aligned when you were born because that will determine your entire life. Well, that's, that's nonsense. Well, that, that Egyptian but and Chinese an zodiac was a little, a little bit goofier than the uh, astrology of the, the ancient, uh, ancient Egyptians and Mayans and whatnot. But that is what, what baffles me is you'll see an entire page in a newspaper, even today, dedicated to astrological nonsense about your star signs and stuff. And then like a paragraph on breaking scientific news or whatever, you know, it's like, there's always, yeah. I think it's because people like to read about themselves. So they're like, Oh, I'm a, I don't know what the Aries something, something. And there's always some vague, whatever that could apply to anything. Like, Oh, you're going to have some good and some bad today or whatever. But people read it and they're hooked on it. And, uh, that has lasted the test of time. I mean, it's 2020 and people still right. read their horoscopes, right? I, they I, go to their horoscope. It's amazing. They're not reading John, but they're re some of them are, but they're reading their horoscopes. <laughs> yeah, because it's it's much more concrete and it seems that's what you really want to know. You want to know the future for you. I want to know well, what's going to happen tomorrow because we're oppressed by the fact that we can't know the future. It creates anxiety because we don't know the future. It's fortune telling. Uh, and I'm trying to explain why. Because that's if God has an eternal plan and he created the universe, maybe you can figure out the eternal plan by studying the way the stars are aligned. I'm just saying it, it, they took it down the wrong path. It's very similar to the path of mythology where you have a basic truth there about God being the father, and then you just go down a rabbit hole, one rabbit hole after another, because you're, you're taking it down the wrong way. Same thing with astrology. Same thing, same thing. Mm -hmm. So the, the result was uh, an eclipse of science. Uh, uh, basically, uh, science went into eclipse for a thousand years. Uh, Augustine, in the City of God, said that talked about salamanders living in fire and do you think part of that was for that military was conquest uh, because the persians at first were pretty philosophical and had some basic yeah. scientific principles and they got conquered by islam and just that was it that was everything had to come from the quran i think it goes back I, I think, first of all, I think you're right. I do talk about the Islamic conquest as a great catastrophe for Persia. Uh, it lasted to this day. I've, there, the conflict is there to this day. 
I've run into it in my, my trip travels through Iran. I find it all the time. But I think it started earlier than that because uh, I, I met with the the head of Radio Golestan when I was in that part of Iran. And he said he studied ancient Greece and ancient Persian culture. And he said the Persians never wrote anything down. And if you read Herodotus, uh, that's the only source you have for what, understanding what the Persians were doing. There's no Persian Herodotus. They didn't do it. And then he gets into this. He's one of the earliest sources uh, for Greeks, too. (laughs) He's the first historian, but he's not really. He just sort of wrote down whatever was interesting, rumor or whatever. But Right. He wrote down whatever people told him. That's true. He wrote down whatever people told him. And you have to take it as for what it is. But he said that uh, the the uh, the Persians, the uh, the Persian emperor, um was trying to decide whether to go into a battle and he he had a dream and it was the dream that was the determining factor about where he how he went into battle and he said the difference is that Greeks spend all their time talking to each other so Logos plays a much higher role they have discussions Aristotle said if you have to work for a living you can't be a citizen of Athens because you have to spend all your time going to meetings in Athens. And they talked and talked and talked. That's what they did. And that's why Logos was so important for them. It reminds me of a joke I can't say on YouTube. <laughs> I'll tell you later. That's pretty good. It's a Japanese joke uh, about uh, about the West and how they talk to each other too much. But I can't say it on here. But yeah, it's a good one. <laughs> okay. So anyway, so you evolved through. I want to get back to uh, to Christ. So here we have this breakaway. We kind of have a Heraclitus and the, and Socrates, and then there's a dip with the Sophists, and then you have these military campaigns. Christianity too becomes militarized for a little while, and then you have Nicaea, and it takes five centuries or so before they then they resolve the the conflict of the Trinity. And then it, it takes a while to get back to to the the message, <clears throat> but now we now we are in twenty twenty, and so what do you see coming? Why do you think that this information got you kicked off Amazon and and YouTube? Like, what are they so afraid of? Um, you're not allowed to talk. You're not allowed to criticize Jews. It's that simple. So what got, let's go back to Amazon. I had f- about 40 ebooks on Amazon. I've been doing this for about 10 years. And then Amazon produced a series called uh, on Amazon Prime called Hunters, which is about Nazi hunters. And uh, it's so 1977, America is inf- infested with Nazis. They're all over the place. And uh, these people discover this and they decide we have to save America. So we're going to go around killing Nazis. It sounds like some Antifa now, fantasy. <laughs> Nazis it, it's are everywhere. A Jewish we got to get both, them. Yeah, that's what I just said. Yeah, well, both Antifa is a Jewish organization. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's not surprising they have the same view. So what they're justifying is murder. So, first of all, it's hate speech uh, against a certain group of people. Uh, and then uh, they, it's also incitement to violence because they're saying you're justified in murdering someone if you think he's a Nazi. You don't right. call the police. You take it into your own hands. We tried the police. This is what the, the uh, Al Pacino character says. They didn't listen, so we're going to take it into our own hands. 
I said, this is completely outrageous. It's an outrageous form of hate speech and an outrageous form of incitement to violence. And no one has a right to talk this way. And Amazon should be ashamed of itself. And what did they do? They banned me from Amazon because I criticized their movie. And it's got some real life consequences because there have been people who have been assaulted because some Antifa twerps like you're a Nazi and then I get to punch you now. Nazi based. That's right. That's exactly what they're. This is not. This is in the real world. There are actually people who are going to watch that movie. They go out and commit acts of violence. That's what's going to happen. Uh, and and uh, that. So my biggest seller. It was a bestseller on Amazon, according to their definition, was a, an ebook called Jewish Privilege. Well, that hit the nail on the head. Now one of the it's the third <laughs> uh, highest trending uh, on Twitter is Jewish Privilege. So I unleashed that concept into the ether and even after Amazon banned me and per- said I'm not allowed to talk about it, it's taken on a life of its own because we're talking about logos here and there's a logos to what I said and people respond to it they understand yes as soon as they hear the term yes that makes sense I had a, book a video of the same thing about Jay privilege uh, when some settlers set house to a fire uh, set a house on fire and burned a baby and the mother and the father and only a three-year-old survived. Um, and so I talked about their privilege because all they got was administrative detention for 10 months and they were let go. And it was only about a year after that that they burned the Church of Miracles where uh, Jesus is alleged to divide the, the loaves of fish and or the loaves of bread and fish. They burned that church. And no news about that on the Western news, by the no. way. They burned it down. And if you bring if you bring if you bring up issues like this, you will be called an anti Semite. And as soon as you're called an anti Semite, then you have no rights. You have no rights. And so the, the, oh, well, the you're fifteen dollar an hour right chick with the tattoos <laughs> yeah. who was the censor at YouTube or wherever, <laughs> uh, she will just pull the plug and you have no recourse. Uh, no way of uh, asking for a trial or anything else. You're just gone. Well, I was criticizing way, people who language. burned a baby, right? They burned a baby and the mom and the dad, and they disfigured another little boy. And I talked about Jewish privilege, and it had like a few million views on Facebook, and then it got canned there, it got canned on YouTube, it got canned everywhere. And, I, and I'm getting called a racist because I'm defending Palestinians from actual racists who set their house on fire, right? You can't talk right. about Jewish supremacy or Jewish privilege or any of that. Um, you really, the only class you're allowed to say is privilege is whites. Uh, anything else, any criticism right. of anybody else, uh, well, then you're racist, right? That, uh, there's no other answer. There's no yes. other explanation. It's, this uh, is pathetic. This is an intolerable situation. Yes. And it contradicts everything that we stand for as Americans. It is completely incompatible with the American Constitution. And what we're seeing now is we're in the middle of a revolution. That is the, these, the people who, uh, the oligarchs who control the culture are upset because of what we're doing right now uh, has proliferated across the Internet. And as a result, they lost control of the narrative. And everyone holds mainstream media in contempt now because they're all a bunch of whores. The word prostitute was coined to describe yes. what they do for a living. <laughs> OK, so they're upset. And the one of the main groups that's upset about losing control of the narrative is the Jews. And the Jews now have are engaged in another revolution. 
That's what's happening right now as we speak. Okay, uh, the the point of this revolution is to depose Donald Trump. Uh, that's what revolutions do. And so what now now are involved in uh, tearing down statues, which is also a sign that we're in a revolution. Now, this means uh, that uh, we, we are going to have a religion imposed upon us. We do not have freedom of religion. You cannot say I'm a Catholic. Uh, you can't make me do this. There's that already is, a religion. Well, that's us. the point of this revolution. It's called woke culture. Is it the wokeism? <laughs> yes, and this new, the new religion, the new religion is the civil rights movement. That's it's not for civil rights uh, though. It's th- it's new Jim Crow laws. It's it's hiring people based on biology and all oh, this nonsense. Uh, I call it. Let's call it wokeism. Do you mind? I want to get some. Uh, some people sent some shekel chats, so mostly are just comments. I'll get through some of these, and I want to get to where people can get your book since not on Amazon any of your books, but. We have one from Vargarian since 10 says, no question. Just take my money. Love both of you. Uh, love your work. Well, that was nice. Uh, Wilford P says, thank you for having E. Michael Jones. Love your eye and all your hard work. Thank you, Wilford. PM says, uh, has E. Michael Jones ever had any correspondence with Michael Hoffman II? Is he familiar with his work? Uh, usury in the Catholic Church. Do you know of Michael Hoffman? I do. Well, I reviewed Israel Shamir. Uh, re- reviewed his book Ju- uh, Judaism, Judaism Discovered uh, in Culture Wars, the magazine I edit, and uh, Mr. Hoffman did not like the review and wrote uh, a letter to the editor that was twice as long as the magazine, uh, <laughs> and uh, we could not publish that, uh, and he got mad at us, so it it didn't end well. You but for- yes, I'm familiar with this You work. forgot to say trigger warning. Uh, my doll face one, two, three for five says, wow, look at all the... Uh, Hashtag white privilege at Michael, at that Michael Jones has getting bounced from YouTube. I'm a person who is slow to anger, but there is steam coming out of my ears. We've both been kicked off YouTube. I've been kicked off four times. Um, reinstated three times, though, but that's probably because I physically went to their office with like 90 people. Uh, oh, my gosh. I don't know if I can pronounce this name. Tarkalija Tomonen, maybe. With the most Chad uh, level possible, sent 100 euros. It says, the best two e-people discussion on history, theology, philosophy, maybe Zionism, the Jays, government, (laughs) economy, and capitalism from different perspectives, yet in an adult way. Sipping coffee uh, from Remember the Liberty Mug. Oh, awesome. Finished separation of business and state and Logos Rising. Next, uh, Baron Metal, Life Wants to Ask, Do You Like Cats? So The Separation of Business and States, a book that I wrote, and then apparently they already have your newest book and they're reading that as well. Do I like cats? Uh, depends on the cat. Some cats are nice and some are annoying. Any thoughts on cats? <laughs> yes, but I won't pronounce them on in public. <laughs> All right, then. Well, let's tell people where to buy it. Culture Wars uh, would be, is that the best place to get your works? Yes, go to culturewars.com or fidelitypress.org and you can buy all of my books. They're all available there uh, as well as you can subscribe to um, Culture Wars magazine there as well. I've said before, we are in the middle of a campaign of psychological warfare. Mm -hmm. Psychological warfare means disrupting unapproved communication, unauthorized communication among subject people. 
YouTube is a choke point that they can turn off with the flip of a switch. And so we need to establish secure channels of communication. And you can do that by going to culturewars.com. Also, there's a BitChute channel. Uh, go ahead and sub to that for E. Michael Jones's BitChute. I got to get you over on Brand New Tube. There's something called Brand New Tube. It's pretty much just like YouTube, except they don't censor you if you, you know, say the wrong gender pronoun or whatever. So maybe we can get you over there posting. And I think you and I should have another discussion over there where I don't have to police what I. <laughs> We're on YouTube right now, and I already know I'm gonna have to. Uh, I'm gonna have to privatize this video, but yeah, I'm gonna get you back on where we can speak more freely Good. about. about uh, yeah, I'd be yeah, happy to. Yeah, I, w- I want. This to is really another badly. aspect. Another aspect of Jewish culture is that if you associate with someone who is taboo, mm-hmm. you become taboo. Right. This is intolerable. I mean, this goes back to the roots of Christianity when Jesus Christ uh, was told the Pharisees that uh, if he ate with tax collectors and prostitutes, he didn't commit a sin. And that's exactly what they were saying. Again, this is religious intolerance we are having a religion imposed upon us that is not our religion it's guilt by okay, association. this is intolerable yep. guilt by association that's right right and yet uh their little sophists can uh get in their underwear and get a massage on epstein properties from girls but they're of age and and he didn't do anything wrong he actually said, where, where are other things going on in other rooms in the house? Yeah, maybe. And he's like rubbing his hands. He's like the the epitome of every negative stereotype, right? Every terrible stereotype right. about Jews. That's actually if, Alan if, Dershowitz if Alan bodies Dershowitz, all. Like, <laughs> if Alan Dershowitz were a Catholic priest, he'd be in jail right now. Mm. Yes, he would. I think he's still going to go to jail. They... Actually, so a quick update for you guys following the uh, Glenn Maxwell case with Jeffrey Epstein. She's going to be hauled in front of the judge at 1 o'clock. Now, I predict she's not going to show up. She's going to say, <laughs> I have COVID-19 and Skype from her jail cell. But they're probably going to deny her bail request. And then she's going to start squealing on people. And, man, it's things are about to heat up. So, And this would not have happened she better- without Trump in office. She better start squealing as soon as possible because uh, otherwise uh, she'll end up like uh, Mr. Epstein. Yeah, they'll murder If he had talked, if he had started talking, uh, that would have been the end of uh, the death sentence on him. They had him sign a blind trust and within 36 hours that we know of, at least when they found him, uh, he had been uh, choked with a... um, with the the cord, the electrical cord, they choked him with that and killed him, and then of course they said he hung himself with his bed sheets, whatever. And then you have all the uh, the miracle of uh, circumstances of coincidences where no guards checked on him and the cameras didn't work and his he's on suicide watch but he's still by himself and his roommate had been moved out at five in the morning. Yeah, you know, he was murdered and she's gonna get murdered, but she's just start flipping on people. Uh, if she's to survive uh, but this lady is so narcissistic she's gonna try and fight it and say I, I didn't do nothing wrong but I, I don't think uh, I don't think they're gonna get away with it this time and we've had bigger names fall President Katsev of Israel was convicted of rape and went to prison 
You didn't hear that on the news. Can you imagine if the president of Iran or like any other country had been convicted of rape? You'd definitely know about it, but not Israel. Right. Right. <laughs> of course not. Oh, yeah. We got to do a talk on brand new tube where we can uh, take the gloves off because that would be nice. Moving on in the book of John, you'll get to chapter eight. Uh, my favorite is verse 44. I'll let you guys go look up and see what that says. I know you know what it says, but <laughs> that's uh, that's where it ends up going. So going after the money changers and actually flipping the table, the OG table flipper, Jesus Christ. <laughs> get E. Michael Jones, uh, his books. Not only I would get uh, the Revolutionary Spirit first and then get Logos Rising. And uh, you can get them on his website. You can follow him on BitChute and you can follow him uh, hopefully on brand new tube when we get that set up as well. Uh, let me check for any other questions. We got a couple more and I, I'm going to let you go soon. I don't want to take up too much of your time. We only have eight minutes left, but 1313 says, uh, for sevens, I will gather all the nations to Jerusalem to fight against it. The city will be captured. The houses ransacked and the women struggle struggled. Half of the city will go into exile, but the rest of the people will not be taken from the city. Uh, Rob Lyon says, seeing you two on Ran YouTube would be fantastic. Make it happen. We're going to try and do that. 1313 says, the horse is prepared for the day of battle, but victory belongs to the Lord. There you go. Yeah, the chat's going nuts right now. So, yeah, we're going to have to have a, a no gloves version and... <laughs> That's going to be an interesting discussion. Anything else you want to plug or, or say before I let you go? Any? Logos is rising. Logos is rising. Logos is rising. Hey, they're not going they to beat us stop. either. They can't stop us. Free market has given us other opportunities to have a voice. And for all you people who are blackpilled out there, <clears throat> look, the way evil has been able to... Uh, to control things for is through a monopolization of media but with bnt and bitshoot and you know gab and all these other things we found a way even a little way around it the thing is even though the the big tech has so much money and is so powerful you got your google youtube and twitter and whatever they have to spend magnitudes more because it costs far less to tell the truth than it does to lie to maintain a lie, you have to keep saying it over and over again because it doesn't resonate. It doesn't fit with reality. Once someone hears the truth, even one time, they now have defense for all these lies. So we, we don't have to match them in terms of media. We just have to have, I don't know what the ratio is, but just a slither and we can still win. So support BitChute, support Brand New Tube. Uh, when people get kicked off, don't fall for the guilt by association. Go in, have them on, interview them, let them have their say. Support real free speech. Reject the religion of wokeism. And go by Logos is Rising. And Michael Jones, Dr. Uh, Dr. Jones, I really appreciate you coming back on the show. Uh, hopefully next time you come on, it will be better circumstances. And we'll do this again without such a long absence next time. Thank you, Ryan. Thank you very much. Have a good day. I got to get pleasure. on the Maxwell case. It was a pleasure talking to you, as always. Folks, that was E. Michael Jones. Um, this video, you might want to save it because <laughs> I can't keep it because <laughs> he kept saying the J word and all that. But um, anyway, um, 
I will. Here's what I'll do. I'll put a copy of this on my brand new tube and a copy on my bit shoot, and then I'm gonna try and get him back on because y'all could see me just sitting there biting my lip like he said it, not me. You know, I I know I can roll with these all day, but we are limited in this form of communication. I gotta thank the people, especially. Tell me how to say this, Tarkilogy Tomenin. I'm gonna look that up. Mask uh, pug. I'm better with the the East Asian languages, but that was a hundred euros. That is the largest donation we've had in like two years. Um, my doll face, PM Wilford Vergarian, thirteen thirteen, and Rob Lyon. You guys are excellent. I'll try and kick some of that over to Jones. You can get his book and go to culturewars.com. Follow him there. I did not argue with him about Christianity or polytheism or any of that because that what I but <clears throat> I asked him on to talk about censorship in his book, so I'm not going to ambush him with an argument about atheism and theism or anything like that. I'm just going to be polite. So, um, but that's the thing. We can all agree, regardless of someone's theological perspective, who the enemy is, and the enemy is. The people that are going around censoring everybody, the people that are going around advocating violence, the people that are going around advocating prejudice, all under the guise of the opposite, right? Screaming in pain as they beat you, like saying, you know, you have to hire people of a certain color or sex or orientation or whatever. That's Jim Crow laws. Like you are, you are having a biological prejudice when you engage in things like that. And, you know. Obviously, the violence towards Palestinians or just being able to label anything Nazi you don't like and then get it censored or even uh, commit acts of violence towards them. It's all backwards. It's all upside down. It's bizarro world, as Justin Romando would say, uh, the, the late, great Justin Romando of antiwar.com. But I do think we've got a lot of white pills coming around. We've got, let's see, what time is it in the U.S.? It's like... Is it Tuesday morning over there in the East Coast? Anyway, at 1 o'clock, which should be in a few hours, we'll try and uh, try and come back and get the uh, Galeen trial update. Well, not at 1. That's when they start. Wait until it's done. If I'm awake, because it's going to be like 2 a.m. Or, or after here, I'll do a live update. And so we'll see you then. And uh, make sure you get a copy of this. Uh, if you want a copy of this or you want to watch or share it, you should uh, get it on BNT or BitChute. So I'm going to go talk to him on Skype now in private. I'll give you guys a quick commercial. Chair? God gave it to me. What? God said I would have it. God said he could have it. That's my juice. I get that back. That's my juice. God said it was mine. Give me my chair. Give me my juice. America! Hey! 
By the way, that video was uh, Syrian Girl, myself, Robert in the Kesh, and then Andrew was in the house. That was a pretty chad day. By the way, Sean Atwood, Saturday night, uh, and in between then and now and then, we're going to have a Siri update with Andrew Illingworth. Uh, I was on the Scott Horton show the other day. You can go to scotthorton.org, check out that interview, and then we'll get the Syrian update, and then we'll do the big brand new tube live stream with Sean Atwood, and he's going to ask me about September 11th. So... It's about to go down. Oh, yeah. Uh, one last chat from my doll face says, Love you, Ryan. Try to hang in there. Hey guys, ancreport.com. I'm going to put the video there. ancreport.com. Please sign up to become a member or send a tip. It would really help relieve my stress if we could get that settled. Uh, if you used to be a Patreon, cancel it with your credit card before they try and keep it and then rejoin over on ancreport.com. Uh, you can send tips there as well. And thank you, everybody, who use Entropy. And I will see you maybe in a few hours to talk about Glenn Maxwell uh, and her complete meltdown. They can't give her bail. And if they do, if they, they're not going to give her bail. But if they give her bail, that's just the, the whole world will have no faith in the court system or the judicial system or whatever. Because if she goes back to her house, they'll kill her.